0: Father, I do ask, Lord, that you would take a Sunday like Palm Sunday, where sometimes we think we've, we've heard all the sermons on it in the past that we can hear, and then give us new insight today, fresh insight into what this means for each one of us. pray in Jesus' name, amen. So there was this guy. He was a shepherd, and he's herding sheep on this remote pasture and all of a sudden this brand new BMW comes, you know, speeding up to him in the dust and the door opens up and this young man dressed in designer clothes, obviously a very wealthy young man and also one who thought very highly of himself. He said, I can tell you exactly how many sheep you have in this pasture and the shepherd's like okay said no i i tell you what if i can tell you how many sheep you have then will you will you give me one of them and the shepherd said well, well sure and so this uh this yuppie he gets on his uh satellite phone connects to his you know, iPad and he's able to access the Nassau site and he gets a certain satellite there and he gets a satellite and he hooks it in with another software where he can actually figure out the number and he says, You have fifteen hundred and eighty six sheep in your pasture. And uh, the shepherd said, That's correct. He said, Okay, then I get to take one. And he said, Go ahead and take one. So the young man bundled up one of the animals and put it into his car. And right before he took off, the shepherd said, Before you go, I want to go ahead and say that what if I can tell you what you do, then you have to give me back my animal. And he said, Okay. He said, I think, no, in fact, I know you're a consultant. And he said, Now, why would you say that? Even though that's correct, why would you say that? He said, Well, it was no guessing. I know you're a consultant because you turned up here when nobody asked you to, to answer a question that I'm not even asking, and give me an answer that I already know, and uh, you don't know anything about my business, now give me back my dog. (laughs) Well, today I do want to talk to you about sheep, in fact, I want to talk to you about a lamb. Today's Palm Sunday, and what actually happened on that day is so much more than most people think. So we want to look at what really happened on that day and why it should matter to us. So Let's go ahead and pick up the story, Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 1. It says, and when they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says something to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. And verse 6 and 7 of Matthew 21, and the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid on them their garments on which he sat. Now, Matthew goes on to explain something really important here in verses 4 and 5. He says, This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. He's talking about the prophet Zechariah. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, that the, through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying... Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So when Jesus came riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he came fulfilling a prophecy. And he actually, as he wrote in, he was making a pronouncement that he was, in fact, Israel's promised king. Now, many of the Jews knew this prophecy, so many people in the crowd would have known the words of Zechariah and recognized what Jesus was, in fact, doing. So when they saw Jesus coming in on the colt of a donkey, they said, Hosanna to the son of David. They were acclaiming, They were claiming Jesus to be the son of David, the Messiah, God come in the flesh. Now, as he came riding into Jerusalem, people, of course, began tearing off their coats and throwing them onto the road. They began scrambling up, pulling down tree branches and putting them down in the road, and even the children are singing, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. So when they saw him riding into Jerusalem on that donkey, they realized what he was doing. Now, so in the midst of this, they asked a question in verse 10 and 11. They said, who is this? They realized that he's fulfilling a prophecy, but a lot of people still didn't know who he was who's fulfilling this prophecy to be the Messiah, the rightful king. So they asked the question, who is this? And then other people in the crowd started to chime in, this is Jesus. So now while Jesus is making his triumphal entry in the streets of Jerusalem, something else is happening at the exact same time in the temple with the priest, and they do not hear each other. This is important because, according to ancient rabbis, on the first day of the week, the priest in the temple recited Psalm 24. So while Jesus is coming in, Fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, riding on this donkey as the rightful king, the people in the streets are saying, who is this? And others are answering in the streets, this is Jesus. The same time, the priests are reading this out of Psalm 24. Lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates, lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. So the people in the streets and the priest in the temple, neither hearing each other, are asking the same question. Who is this king? The people in the streets said, this is Jesus. The priests in the temple said, this is the Lord of hosts, the King of glory. So in a way in which nobody could yet understand, they were both right. The priests not even knowing the question they're asking what's happening outside when they asked it, they answered the question still correctly. So Jesus comes riding in Jerusalem in a way that clearly tells all the people that he is pronouncing himself, announcing himself to be the rightful king, the Messiah. Now there's something else that's happening here as this is happening. And that is that he actually rides into Jerusalem on Lamb Selection Day. What is Lamb Selection Day? <clears throat> Let's go to Exodus chapter 12. Second book in your Bible, Genesis and Exodus chapter 12. Verse 3 and verse 6 says this Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of This month, talking about the month of Nisan, they are each to take a lamb for themselves, according to their fathers' households, a lamb for each household, and you shall keep it until the 14th day. So you select it on the 10th, you keep it till the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. So this was, Lamb Selection Day was the day that each family in Israel was to select a lamb for Passover. And each lamb was to begin its time of inspection. The Passover, of course, was instituted, as recorded in the book of Exodus, to spiritually and physically prepare the Israelite slaves for their escape from Egypt. A lamb was to be chosen by the father of each family and then must be inspected for four days so everyone could see that it was without spot or blemish. It was a period of inspection before Passover. The lamb is selected on Sunday, Passover is on Friday, and Thursday evening is a Passover meal. So those four days Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday are our time to inspect to make sure this lamb is unblemished and spotless. It was a time of inspection. The Passover meal would take place the evening before Passover, so Thursday evening, after sundown. The lamb that was selected by each family would be tied to the altar at noon on Passover and then would be sacrificed at 3 p.m. on Passover. The lamb was to have none of its bones broken. It was to be offered whole for the sins of the family. So the lamb inspected by a family was known as their lamb. Not just a lamb, it was their lamb, according to Exodus 12, verse 5. It was their lamb. Each family selected their lamb. The children of that family would get to know this lamb. They would take care of it, make sure it had no harm. Each member of the family would actually bond with the animal, so to speak. There would be a personal attachment that would lend itself to this sacrificial nature of the animal giving up its life for the forgiveness of the sins of those who loved it. So it was a very personal sacrifice. Now, in the case of the very first Passover, the time of the Exodus, the Lamb would be giving its life for the freedom, not just spiritually, but physically, of each family. Now, get a load of this that in the year that Jesus is crucified, and he dies, he actually dies, it is the month of Nisan, and he rides in. Sunday, Palm Sunday, we call this, he rides in on the 10th of that month. Palm Sunday. As he entered into Jerusalem, the Jewish households were selecting their personal lambs. As he rides into Jerusalem, our heavenly Father selected the perfect lamb ride in their midst on a donkey. From the 11th on Monday through the 14th on Thursday, the lamb chosen, of course, was intensely inspected and then sacrificed the next day, Friday. So on Thursday, his family celebrated their Passover meal and were preparing to have their personal lamb sacrificed for their sins on the next day, the very same time they're holding their Passover meals, Jesus is having the last supper with his disciples. Now, as the families, with tears in their children's eyes, tie the lamb to the altar at noon, at the very exact time Christ was nailed to the cross at Golgotha. As the family sacrificed their lambs at 3 p.m., the exact same time, Christ dies on the cross. As he rode into Jerusalem, he rode into Jerusalem as the Messiah, the Son of David, the Son of Man, Daniel chapter 7, Son of Man. But he also rode in on Selection Day as a Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. I mean, the writers of the New Testament clearly understood what God was doing with all this. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus walking, said, "'Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world.'" The Apostle Peter writes, 1 Peter 1:18 and 19, he says, "'You were redeemed with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, spotless the blood of Christ.'" In fact, in the book of Revelation, 20 times, 20 times it refers to Christ as a lamb. Revelation 5, 6 says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne. From Genesis chapter 22, verse 8, where it says, God himself will provide a lamb throughout the book of Revelation, Revelation 5, verse 12, worthy is the Lamb who was slain. So Christ throughout the Scriptures is revealed as the Lamb of God. He's our Passover Lamb. Now, just to make sure that we don't miss it, God sent His Son into Jerusalem on the same day that the Jewish people had been selecting their Passover lambs for 1,500 years, same day of the month, selection day. Jesus arrives in Jerusalem four days before Passover. and This is no coincidence because the lambs chosen for sacrifice for each family on the 10th of Nisan must be visible for four days before the Passover feast in order for everyone to observe that the selected lamb is without blemish, spotless. So what does Jesus, the Lamb of God, do during those four days? He presents himself in the temple for four days, teaching for everyone to see that he is without blemish. He is without sin. This is Lamb Inspection Week. And the Lamb of God's at the temple, and He's teaching, and everyone can see that He is without sin. There's something else here. Jewish historians will tell you that the lambs that were used for Passover had to come from Bethlehem. And they were brought from Bethlehem into Jerusalem through the Sheep Gate. So, only sheep from Bethlehem who had to be raised specifically, especially for this purpose, were allowed to be selected for these families. So, Jesus, also born in Bethlehem, actually comes in on Palm Sunday through the sheep gate, riding on that donkey. And the apostle John wrote, 1 John, chapter 3, verse 5, he says, You know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Now, why did John add, and in him there is no sin? Because the lambs that were offered in sacrifice to take away sins in the Old Testament had to be spotless without blemish. But every serious believer knew that the blood of animals could not really take away sin. According to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, the whole system, this whole system is pointing toward, forward, to what is going to happen for the final sacrifice of sin. And and John the Baptist is saying, when he sees Jesus, it's happening right now. God's sending his own lamb into the world to take away sin once and for all. Again, let me read the full passage. The Apostle Peter writes, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, he said, "'Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ.'" Well, I think we've got to ask the question, well, how could Jesus be without sin? Every person born in the natural, ordinary way is born with a sin nature. We are all born with original sin, imputed sin, the sin that's been passed down through Adam all the way, seminally all through the generations. I mean, remember what Paul, Apostle Paul writes in Romans 5.12. It says, just as sin came into the world through one man, through Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the sin nature just got passed down suddenly after one, from one person to another, all the way down to us. So, how does Jesus not, how is he not born with the same sin nature? That's why it's important that we understand the Bible teaches of the virgin birth. Here's what the angel said to Mary, Luke chapter 1, verse 30 through 35. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So Jesus is born holy. The sin nature is not passed down to him because God himself, the Spirit of God, comes upon Mary and she conceives, and he's born holy without sin. And then he never does sin his whole life. Why? Why? So he could be the spotless lamb of God. In fact, Jesus even asked a question, which of you convicts me of sin? Nobody could say anything. Nobody could point out any sin because there was none. He's been inspected. He's found without sin. He committed no sin. Neither was any deceit found in his mouth. This is prophesied. And the reason he was without sin is because he is God come in the flesh. John one, 1 and 1.14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the Word became flesh. It's the incarnation. Everything about Jesus shows, in the gospel shows that He could be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Only He could be the spotless, sinless, Son of God, Son of Man, Lamb of God. Now, why is He called the Lamb of God who take away the sins of the world? He's called the Lamb of God because He's going to die sacrificially in our place. Also, He's called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world because He's going to die for the sins of the whole world, not just the Israelites. John 3, verse 36 is important that we put in at this point and understand this. It says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This means that when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he doesn't mean that every person in the world is now saved. He means every person in the world, Jew or Gentile, will be saved if they believe in Jesus and follow him. There's no race, no nationality, no ethnicity, no socioeconomic status excluded from this. Again, we all realize that we're all, we've all, are sinners deserving God's wrath. There's only one way to have sins taken away and win favor with God. We can't work it. We can't do enough good deeds. We can't work our way to please him. We are spiritually, morally bankrupt. We have nothing to buy God's favor with. So God sends his only son to pay the penalty for us. He's the Lamb of God, but he's also the King of glory. And I tell you, it, and it's just this most beautiful way where God does so many things that are so easily overlooked. On Palm Sunday, Jesus comes into Jerusalem both as the Lord and the Lamb. He comes riding in on a donkey as Messiah, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah. He comes in. God come in the flesh as the Lord, and He comes riding in on Selection Day as a Lamb of God through through the Sheep Gate, the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world, all those who turn to Him. I mean, this is just, I mean, it is mind-blowing all that is going on right here on Palm Sunday. All that God is speaking and communicating, the Messiah of Daniel 7, the Son of Man who'll rule over every kingdom, every dominion, Messiah of Daniel 7 is also the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. The Lord is also the Lamb. Jesus' favorite title for Himself is the title, Son of Man. That title really comes primarily out of Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 and 14. That was Jesus' favorite title of himself. In fact, in, in just Matt, the gospel of Matthew alone, he uses it 28 times of himself, Son of Man. He pulls it from Daniel 7. Let's just read what's going on because in Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14, the Son of Man is coming with the clouds of heaven and is led into the presence of... of the Ancient of of Days, and then it says this in verse 14, And to him, Son of Man, to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. So Jesus' clearest declaration of himself as the son of man of Daniel 7, he uses at his trial in Matthew 26. Let's look at this. Matthew 26, verse 64 and 65, he's on trial before the crucifixion. And the high priest asks him directly, Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? And he responds by saying this, I tell you, Hereafter, you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of glory. Then the high priest tore his robe, saying, he has blasphemed. See, Jesus actually uses this reference to answer his question in the affirmative. He goes back to Daniel 7 and says that he is the Son of Man, comes in the clouds, sits on the throne next to the Ancient of Days. And clearly, the high priest understood what he meant, and that's why he tore his robes. Over and over, Jesus taught his disciples about the Son of Man coming with the angels, coming in his kingdom, and sitting on his throne. And we know when Jesus comes again, he's going to fulfill all of that. It's also interesting that Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, as he's being stoned, as he's first he's being tried, and he makes the most amazing speech before the Sanhedrin, But then he says, he looks up and he says, I see, heaven's opened up, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they stoned him to death. Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man in Daniel 7, clear reference to being Messiah, the Lord. But he also referred to himself as the Son of Man because he's going to fulfill the prophecy of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53 and die for our sins as a lamb. Luke 9, Jesus told the disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised up on the third day. The Son of Man, you mean the one in Daniel 7, the Messiah? Jesus says, Death son of man must. He must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed and raised up on the third day. It must happen. And on Palm Sunday, he wrote in Jerusalem as the Lord and as a lamb. Because he is both. He is both. He wrote in as Messiah king of glory the lord of Hosts, the almighty he also rode in through the sheep gate on selection day as a lamb of God who take away the sins of the whole world because he is both he is lord and he is lamb and we cannot cut him in half See, here's what I think so many do in the West, this really is one of my favorite visuals because I think it helps us really see something really important, and that is I think most professing Christians in the West, you know, they, they view it like this. They're in the front seat, and they're in charge. They decide where to turn. They decide how fast to go. They decide when to stop. But they want to invite Jesus in because they want a Savior. So, Jesus, you sit right here. You sit right here. I need you to be my Lamb. I need a ticket to heaven. So, come on in, Lamb of God, Savior. Sit right here. But I got this, I got it. I'll still be captain. I'll still make all the decisions. I'll make the choices. I'll decide when to go, how fast to go. But every once in a while, I'm going to need you to pedal. But Jesus isn't just the lamb. He's the Lord. And he's already been given all authority in heaven and earth. He already has it. We don't give it to him. He has it. He has it. He is the Lord. And here's what I think we need to understand. That when we invite Jesus into our life, we're inviting the Lamb and the Lord. And as the Lord, he has to have this seat. He has to be in charge because he is in charge. And so, you know, in the West, I think we say, well, you know, have you made him Lord of your life yet? And and I want to say, you're not the one making him Lord. He's already Lord. He's already Lord. So if you want him in your life, you want, and you're asking him to take this seat. You're asking him to take this seat. I want to invite the worship team back up. Here for a moment. We're going to close in just just a moment. I want you to stay seated right now, and we're going to sing a, a song. The song is "Worthy as the Lamb," and as we sing this song, if you realize perhaps that you've been in this seat, and you realize that you need to get out of it because Jesus needs to be in this seat. And during the song, I just, at a certain point, I'm just going to ask you to stand and say, I'm vacating. When I stand As I stand up, I'm vacating the front seat. Jesus gets it because he is the Lord. He's the Lamb and he's the Lord. He's my Savior and he's my King. So during this uh, closing song, just at a certain point, some of you, I know some of you have done it Many many years ago, we just kind of affirming again during the song, saying, "Lord, you got the front seat of my life. You're my Savior and you're my Lord." But some of you perhaps have not done that. In all honesty, you say you're right here. You've been right. You're driving the, in the front seat. And today during the song, you can say, "Lord, I'm vacating the seat because you're not just the Lamb of God. You're the Lord of Glory. You're the King. So I'm getting out." out of that seat and giving it to you today. I'm surrendering it to you because you are the rightful. You're the rightful leader of everything, including my life. So I want to pray, and then we're just going to sing the song. And those of you, you know, just during the song, just as a way of just saying, Lord, you got the front seat because you are the only one who deserves it because you are the king of glory. Lord, on this Palm Palm Sunday, we're just amazed at all that you did, all that you communicated. We're so grateful you're the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, and you came on Selection Day, on this day. Lord, also we are so grateful that you came in as the King of glory, as the Messiah, the Lord God come into the flesh. So today, Lord, even as we sing this song, just honoring you as the Lamb, Lord, we also want to honor you with our lives as the Lord. And So we just pray, Lord, you just search our hearts, each one of us, and show us, Lord, uh, if there's something that we need to just relinquish today, by relinquishing our hearts to you, in Jesus' name. So as we sing, just at any time, just stand and say, Lord, you got got the front seat.
1: Darling of heaven, crucified. Worthy is the Lamb. Yes, Lord. Worthy
0: yes, Lord. is the Lamb. Yes, Lord. Lord, we pray that uh, during this season, that she would be honored. All over the world in a greater measure than it ever, has ever happened in history. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would just be drawing people in. Jesus, you said nobody can come to you unless the Father draws them. Father, asking you that this week would be a drawing of, of millions and millions of people across this planet to Jesus. And we pray, Lord, for your hand upon this campus and all that'll come upon it this, this week, that you be drawing them to yourself. Use us this week. Lord, to be vessels that really communicate the truth about Jesus, the truth about the Lamb of God and the Lord of glory. I pray all this in Jesus' name.